This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey y'all, welcome. My name is Brandon Schecksnyder, and I am the host and creator of Southern Gothic. Now, what you're about to listen to is one of our very first episodes, the story of a haunted place up there in Kentucky called Liberty Hall. Well, since we first released this episode back in 2018, the podcast has evolved and it's changed immensely. So if you listen to the haunted history of Liberty Hall today and you think, huh, this is okay, but there are some things that I wish could be better. Well, please go check out one of our more recent shows. Southern Gothic is not at all a podcast that you have to listen to in order by any means. Each episode, we simply head out to somewhere new in the South and we dive into a story that folks from around there probably heard from their mama when they were growing up. Of course, we then take it a step further and we explore the history and context of that tale. So if this is your first show, please feel free to hop around in our feed. And if you dig it, please follow us on your podcatcher so you'll get new episodes right when they come out. Now, without further ado, here is our earliest episode, The Haunted History of Liberty Hall. Prior to the American Revolution, settlement west of the Appalachian Mountains was off-limits by rule of the British Royal Proclamation of 1763. But once American independence was established, folks flocked to the western frontier for land and opportunity. And as a result, Kentucky, once a part of Virginia, became the first state 
west of the legendary mountain range to be admitted into the newly formed United States of America. And it's there, in the bluegrass state's capital town of Frankfurt, nestled on the banks of the Kentucky River, where Kentucky's founding father, John Brown, would build an exquisite estate to not only call home, but to entertain many of the new American political and social elite as they traveled through the rugged terrain out west to this burgeoning frontier. Unfortunately for John Brown and his family, legend says that several of these house guests never left. My name is Brandon Schecksneider, and you are listening to Southern Gothic. John Brown was the first senator of the new American state of Kentucky. Born on September 12, 1757, in Augusta County, Virginia, Brown's father was an Irish immigrant who had come to colonial America and built a life as a Presbyterian minister and schoolmaster. John Brown's early years were spent there, studying under his father at Liberty Hall Academy eventually leaving Virginia to attend the College of New Jersey, where it is known now, Princeton. Unfortunately, when the Revolutionary War broke out, Brown's studies were interrupted. Family legends claim that in the following years, he had the honor of serving under both General George Washington as well as the Marquis de Lafayette in the Continental Army. However, no historical documentation exists to give credibility to this claim, and the young man's role in the conflict is now somewhat unknown. Several years later, after leaving the College of New Jersey, Brown headed back to school. This time, it was at the college of William and Mary in Williamsburg, Virginia. There, he studied law under the tutelage of George Wythe, the first American law professor, as well as one of the 56 men to have signed the Declaration of Independence. Brown's connections to the country's founding fathers grew and eventually he left William and Mary and gained employment at the law office of Thomas Jefferson in Charlottesville, Virginia. There, he continued his studies with the future president. But once Brown passed the bar, he moved west across the Appalachian Mountains to Danville, Kentucky, and quickly became a leader in the political scene there. At the time, Kentucky was still a part of Virginia, 
but the settlers in the region were unhappy with this relationship. So they elected Brown to represent them in the legislature. Brown took up the cause and fought to gain statehood for Kentucky, finally succeeding in 1792, making Kentucky the 15th state to join the new union. And for his leadership, John Brown was elected to serve as the state's first senator, a position he would hold until 1805. The small frontier settlement of Frankfort, Kentucky, was selected as the capital city for the new state. The town of less than 500 was nothing like the world where Brown and his soon-to-be wife, Margareta, was raised. But he still decided to head there to help with the formation of the state's new government. So in 1796, Brown purchased four acres of land nestled on a bank along the Kentucky River and began construction on a beautiful and sophisticated two-story brick home that would soon come to be known as Liberty Hall. The building was designed in the federal-style architecture common on the East Coast during the era, fashioned from brick made from locally sourced clay and adorned with five symmetrical gables. The traditional layout featured a central hall flanked by two rooms on either side for dining, entertaining, and leisure. It's unknown who the architect of Liberty Hall was, but some have claimed the design was made by Thomas Jefferson himself, adapted by Brown to his own specifications. Construction was completed several years later, and in 1801, John and his wife Margareta Mason moved into the home. The couple had married only several years earlier, in 1799. John was 42 at the time, and Margareta was only 26. Of course, upon arriving in Kentucky, Mrs. Brown, who had been born and raised in New York, decorated her new home with the refinement the East Coast. She imported an exquisite collection of antiques and fine furniture, brought down to the Kentucky frontier by way of the river, breathing life into this otherwise rustic life. Liberty Hall quickly became a centerpiece for Kentucky's elite, allowing the Browns to entertain hosts of influential guests, from future presidents James Monroe, Zachary Taylor, and Andrew Jackson, to the famed General Marquis de Lafayette. But the most infamous of these house guests was not of the American elite. It was a family member of Mrs. Brown's who came to visit Liberty Hall after the tragic death of the Brown's only daughter. And unfortunately for this woman, who has come to be known as the Great Lady, her spirit never left. Right. 
Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. One particular argument, he ended up dislocating Ava's jaw. <gasps> Ava, she was such a tough cookie. Rather than cry or scream or anything like that, she... Well, or call she, the police. Or call the police, like she should have, <laughs> exactly. What does she do? She takes an ashtray and she knocks him over the head and knocks him unconscious. That's how she fought back. She didn't know what to do, so she called Louis B. Mayer. I think I've killed Howard Hughes. What do I do? Revisit a time when the pictures were still big and everyone was ready for their close-up. When you want Tyrone Power instead of Tom Hardy, Jennifer Jones instead of Jennifer Lawrence, or Robert Mitchum rather than Robert Pattinson, then From Beneath the Hollywood Sign is the gin joint for you. John and Margareta had five children. Unfortunately, only two would live long enough to make it into adulthood, their oldest sons, Mason and Orlando. Margareta gave birth to her third son while living in Frankfurt in 1803. His name was Alfred, but unfortunately for the family, Alfred would not make it out of infancy. Almost immediately within the following year, the same tragedy occurred again when yet another newborn son would meet a similar fate. Then, in 1805, John Brown would finish his term in the United States Senate and return home to focus on local public service. Several years passed, and in 1807, John and Margareta's first daughter, Euphemia, was born. Euphemia lived for several years, but at the age of only seven, her life came to a tragic end as well. The family was heartbroken, but the tragedies would not end there. Some legends claim Euphemia's passing prompted Mrs. Brown's elderly aunt, Margareta Varick, to leave her home over 800 miles away in New York and journey to Frankfurt to help care for the grieving family. Others claim that the 65-year-old woman was merely visiting Liberty Hall on her way to see her son in Illinois. But for whatever the reason, the result was the same. Miss Varick, the sweet, generous old woman who had helped raise Mrs. Brown in New York, would become violently ill and die within three days of arriving at the family home in Frankfurt.
Speculation as to the cause of her death varies. But during this time period, the journey from New York to Frankfort, Kentucky, was an incredibly treacherous one that required weeks of travel. And whether it was old age, a heart attack, or exhaustion from this 800-mile journey south, Miss Varick passed away in one of the upstairs bedrooms of Liberty Hall. The beloved aunt was laid to rest in the beautiful gardens surrounding Liberty Hall's property. But it wasn't long after when members of the family started to see apparitions of the gentle old woman still wandering freely about the home as if she had stuck around to help her niece's family just as she had supposedly committed to in life. Mary Mason Scott was the first of the family to claim such a sighting. Scott, the great-granddaughter of John Brown, was supposedly sleeping in the upstairs bedroom where Mrs. Varick passed. When she was awoken in the middle of the night to find the apparition of a woman veiled in gray standing before her, Scott screamed, waking her brother, who quickly ran to her room armed with a shotgun but the woman in gray had already gone. But then, for three consecutive nights, the apparition continued to appear. following, numerous other reports have been made. But all who have claimed to experience a sighting of this spirit, now endearingly named the Grey Lady, agree that she is a gentle and helpful spirit who watches over the house and continues to take care of its inhabitants. Miss Scott herself, the last member of the Brown family to reside at Liberty Hall, even referred to the Grey Lady as our beloved ghost. Speculation abounds as to why Miss Varick still inhabits Liberty Hall, and much of this revolves around the whereabouts of her deceased body. In 1844, the Brown family members who had been laid to rest on Liberty Hall's grounds, including both John and Margareta, were reinterred in the newly incorporated Frankfurt Cemetery. However, no headstone or grave marker exists there for Mrs. Varick, leading many to believe that the reason her spirit continues to wander the property is a two-century-old search for her final resting place. While the legend of the Grey Lady is certainly Liberty Hall's most famed spirit, she's not the only apparition from the past to have been seen roaming the grounds of this two-century-old home.
1805, well before Miss Vera came to the Browns estate, a famed Spanish opera singer is said to have traveled to Frankfurt from New Orleans to perform a concert at a nearby home. After her performance, the singer is then said to have attended a party held at Liberty Hall. But at some point throughout the night, legends claim she wandered out of the home to walk through the estate's exquisite gardens. Unfortunately, she was never to be seen again. In this part of the 19th century, Frankfurt was hardly more than a rustic frontier town, and attacks by local Native American tribes protecting their land were an all-too-frequent reality. So many attributed the singer's disappearance to one such attack, a violent abduction by one of these local tribes. Worst of all, her body was never found. Yet legends claim that this opera singer's spirit remained. Still wandering the gardens, often seen running with her mouth wide open as if screaming for help. But no sound can be heard emanating from it. The third and final spirit believed to wander the estate alongside the Grey Lady and the Spanish opera singer is said to be a deceased soldier from the War of 1812. In life, the man had fallen in love with a cousin of the Brown family who had been staying with them in Frankfurt. It's unknown how or when the soldier passed, but very much still in love, his uniformed apparition has been seen standing at a first floor window, staring into the home, still searching for his long lost lover. Liberty Hall remained in the Brown family until 1937, when the ancestors of John Brown sold the property to a local organization that would preserve the home's legacy as a historic site. As a result of this preservation, today, visitors can take tours of the home and experience the rich history and legacy of Kentucky's founding father. But the question remains, is the Grey Lady still there, wandering amongst these guests, searching for her final resting place? Or is she merely continuing to take care of the Brown family as she had promised to do in life? My name is Brandon Schecksneider, and you've been listening to Southern Gothic. 
Southern Gothic is an independently produced podcast created by siblings Brianne and Brandon Schecksneider with the support of listeners like you. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to receive even more content, including ad-free episodes, head over to our Patreon page today. The link is in the show notes. Lucky Lady Shacks. Hello, my name is Matt, host of the Pirate History Podcast. Pirates rank among the most mythologized and romanticized of all historical figures. It can become easy to forget that pirates were real people that had real-world concerns. If you like tales of high seas adventure, daring do, and also want to learn more about who Blackbeard supported to be king, you can learn more about all of that at the Pirate History Podcast. Have you ever wondered who the Mary was from Bloody Mary? If the Loch Ness Monster was real, or if Ouija boards actually worked? On each episode of the family-friendly Unspookable, we look at the histories and mysteries behind your favorite scary stories, myths, and urban legends to get the real stories behind the scares. Want to solve your next mystery? Find and follow Unspookable now wherever you get your podcasts. 